last 50 years have seen dynamic shifts in societal attitudes towards female autonomy, divorce, reproductive rights, and the very definition of marriage. Along with it, more and more people are making a conscious choice to live their lives child-free. We're here to unpack the complexities of this life choice and say the things that we can't say anywhere else. Greetings, and welcome to another episode of... Not Just... Sleep it in. I'm Lee. And I'm Tiger, and each week we gather in our secret child-free compounds and discuss all things about this pretty crucial life choice that we've made. This week, childhood is a really awful and scary phase of life, and we don't feel like bringing someone else through it. But first, and most importantly, (laughs) how late did you sleep in, Lee? Oh, man. Um, Again, uh, the barometer on this is all off. Uh, 11 a.m., but that's because... Uh, we're ba- I'm back at work, and I recently worked a 17-hour day, very exciting, uh, and got home at about 4 a.m., and then had to be back at work at 2. So, uh, yay, production life, here we go. Um, <laughs> it, it, I Longing for the days when I did not have, you know, eight because 11 seems like, ooh, 11, but like 8.30 when I didn't actually have to set an alarm and went to bed when I wanted uh, back in the quarantine doesn't sound <laughs> quite so bad these days. <laughs> No, no, I, I also slept in until 11, but that's just because I'm experiencing winter for the first time in like 12 years and I've got seasonal depression. Yeah. Welcome back, (laughs) Chicago. You remember how that feels when the sun's down at four? It's not quite that bad, but, um, (laughs) it's still, it's, it's really been weird. Yeah. Um, And I don't mean to make light of it, but also if I don't, Whatever. You know what? Today I got up and cleaned my house, though, like a freaking champ. So Goddamn champion. It's very funny. Like, it, again, I am I am the little existential worrywart of the two of us. But, like, um, and again, this is funny because it'll tie into childhood, I think, in a little bit. But um, nothing makes me more insane than the fact that entropy keeps driving the world to, towards disorder in some ways and order in others. You know what I mean? And so the the... Like, at some point at, like, 3 in the morning this week when my call times were shifting later and later, I just had to, like, stop and do the dishes. Um, And my partner was very kindly like, hey, can we go to bed? And I was like, I have to do these dishes. (laughs) Like, because I could feel the, uh, you know, the safety uh, of an ordered world starting to slip uh, out of my grasp. So I certainly understand. And again, but, you know, when the you know seasonal depression hits those are the the first things to go yeah i mean i've been living in a mountain of fur and it was just it was getting to the point where i was disgusted with myself but couldn't bring myself to get out from under the mountain of fur but i did Did it it today yeah an art film in your house was there just like just little particleized dander just floating through hard shafts of light in the mid-afternoon. There's nothing there's nothing little about my dog, not even her shedding. So it's 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 like gro- it's just gross. Like at the end of the day, it's just gross and I finally fucking took care of it. So I'm yeah, really cool. really pleased. Um Yeah. And and I had a lot of fun doing it. Sure. Like I so I'm gonna. I promise I'm gonna connect this because yeah. this is where I'm at. Like one of the things that I most appreciate about not having kids is that I still get to turn stuff into. Not 
that still. I turn everything into a fun imaginary adventure because I'm not sad. So like I was putting our music and singing into the mop and living my best life. And I've been watching right. a lot of Drag Race. So I was like, how would I lip sync this song? And Amazing. And that's, yeah. And what's really well, funny is I spent so much of my childhood, which is our big discussion today, mm-hmm. um, wishing to be grown up because I thought that I would have all this freedom and it's fucking true. Um, and yeah. we tend to romanticize childhood as a time of like innocence and whimsy and freedom and joy, but it's, it's not like, okay, so let's just like dive into the meat of the episode, right? Let's like, go ahead because like I said, we tend is... to, we tend to think of these things as childish, but yeah. I never fucking did that kind of stuff as a kid. I saw right. it in Disney movies. I saw like Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo is like my dream scenario, right? Where sure. I'm just like, and like I kind of did that today, but as a kid, that was never, it was never on my time. It was never yeah. my shit. It's not my house. Like it was always right. someone else's standards, which were probably more exacting than mine because I'm a very messy person. And right. like that's that's the problem is we romanticize childhood, but we don't treat children with any. I don't know. It's really weird. No one treats some them real, like sentient beings. There was some real first act Cinderella shit that you were going through. Like some real like dowdy dress, leaky bucket down on the floor, hands and knees stuff. No, like <laughs> not even that. It's right. It's just like it's that lack of because I had a great childhood. It's more just like sure. I think we treat kids as like we don't treat them as people. Like, did you? Okay. Okay, so I well, let's clarify. This is much the inverse of a couple of the ep- episodes, like the legacy episode, uh, where I'm I'm gonna like Tiger has got very strong feelings, and I'm lay it on me. Let's let's get into it. Let's get down to the nitty gritty of it. So yeah, l- let's let's go. Because childhood's a goddamn horror show, and I want to talk about it. Um, and <laughs> one of one of the sort of great things, like I said, about being child free is not creating a childhood for yourself because childhood like I'm my thesis here is that childhood is objectively lame and being an adult is tits and being a child free adult is like peak. It's third Double act. Tits. It's third act. Disney princess found the shoe that fits found the partner that's super hot and have fairies with changing color dresses, right? Sure. So, but to kind of preface this, like, I, what's even funnier is, like, I had a very happy childhood on paper, like, a very idyllic childhood. I grew up in this great little, like, Midwestern town. My parents are loving. I had a good education and a lot of opportunities. Like, we weren't moneyed, but I never went without. I was never hungry. I was always, you know, healthy. Um, Parents had government jobs, so we had health care. Um, and and I, I get that. Like, and I'm super, it's not that part of it for which I'm not grateful. But I couldn't wait to be an adult. Like, freedom is probably the thing that I value most in this world. Like, and, and I hated having to share. I'm the oldest of three. And, and you get that. Like, being the oldest child sucks the, the most. Old man. Yeah. Being yeah. the oldest sucks the most dick. And on top of all that, like, growing up in the church left me super scared and anxious because people don't take your questions seriously. Um, you know, like, when you're like, why are my friends going to hell? What does eternity mean? What happened before we were here? Oh, there's no such thing as time? And and then on top of that, like, your little body is never consistent. You have a favorite shirt and you can't fit into it in, in a week. And your teeth are falling out. And then, like, I, like... You don't have a vagina, but I did. And, like, 
there's like vaginal discharge isn't just like menstruation right and that starts happening and you're like what the fuck and then like my hips grew in too early my tits never came in growth spurts fucking hurt and like you know you're introduced to like beauty or beauty standards and societal norms and stuff and you're just like well this is awful and the most anyone will give you as an answer is like you'll understand when you're older yeah it's just it's awful anyway when yeah can i get a can we get a timeline and i just like existence makes sense yeah and part of this is just like kind of level setting like was this was it did you feel this way (laughs) yes like and listeners did you feel this way but lee sure Uh, and it's funny because i think that what i'm kind of wrestling with and you know i see my friends and some of my family wrestling with is kind of digging into how we with the benefit of time look back at our childhoods and can admit and acknowledge the good stuff and also kind of point out some stuff that wasn't great and um it's tough because i think most parents and even our our friends now who have been trying to parent through an unprecedented quarantine year um, have said like, look, we were just doing the best that we could. We were, we didn't, no one taught us how to do this, which is what every generation says about the generation before. Um, You know, most people will just say like, well, I tried very hard to not either not do or replicate what my parents had done to me. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, a crapshoot. So it's good to look back, I think, from the lens of adulthood and and be critical. And it's tough because that stuff has been done. There's nothing we can do about it at this point well, that's... other than, like, acknowledge it and reconcile a little bit. But I think there's a lot of sometimes in parents, like, well, I was just fucking doing the thing. And you're like, yeah, but I think we can acknowledge how tough it was, particularly if it looked really good. And I'm, I, think, I come from I a think, very... Yeah, I think the horror of childhood extends far beyond. Like, what I'm saying is, I yeah. don't think it... Like, because my parents were objectively good. Like, they're human, so they, I'm <clears> sure, <throat> messed up sometimes. But, like, I'm not... I like my mom and dad. I'm really proud of right. the parents that they became because they really, truly didn't have good examples. And for me, it's yeah. like... It's more just like, I think the inherent state of childhood is shit. So why do right. we, why do we romanticize it? Sure. Yeah. Again, uh, you know, I grew up um, 80s, kid, like literal 1980 kid. So like there was a lot of that um, socialized kind of here is the life script portrayed in like the high point of um, sitcoms. And again, you can see in the aesthetic of the show, I've said this before, like you know, uh, I often saw myself as a person in an, uh, kind of my own weird sitcom. It was the only way for me to kind of contextualize existence. Uh, of course, I was always a fan of the weird ones. Give me an elf, give me a small wonder. Uh, but yeah, again, rural, um, on the cusp of a major metropolitan area, enough that it was in easy access. Um, big family on both sides. Um and yeah, it was generally good. We did not want. Now, in you know the reflective lens of time, my parents have since said like we moved a lot around 
we, you know, we hid a bunch from you. My dad would never put a dollar sign on anything that for us to know about, not his salary, not how much the house cost. Like it was very much, there was a, a tiny bit of kind of obfuscation to that, which I don't, Sure, why not on some level? Like, let them, let the adults deal with it. But it also kind of then, you understand looking around at other people where you are. Um, but, you know, generally when we desired something, the answer was very rarely no. A lot of church. For me, it was interesting because I think that my mom, as a, like, firmly kind of, like, second wave feminist, but also, like, deeply religious, um wanted a job, wanted responsibilities, refused to live her mother's life and be, like, strapped to a vacuum. So that she kind of, like, in a very early gig economy sort of sense, like, um, if she had to uh, raise children, she was going to monetize it. Like, I think the very first thing she did, you know, after she got pregnant, and again, she, she made it very clear to my dad, I will always have a job. Um, so at some point you have to take that kind of maternity leave to have, you know, two kids and, and deal with the adoption of the third. Uh, and you have to take some time off. So what my mom did was just like turn our house into a daycare. So there were just always other kids around. And on top of that, you know, church, choir, my parents would not stop saying no to other things. Uh, I think I mentioned my dad worked, uh, on the board of the Christian radio station in town, as well as his full-time job. My mom was a choir director and both of them were ranger commanders, like boy scout commander types. Like we were chock-a-block with both things to do for ourselves, but other children who my parents answered to, you know, or, or kind of mentored. And there was this kind of very odd thing well, that. Can I uh, just like, yeah. I just want to point something out. You, yeah. I've asked you to talk about your childhood and everything you have said is within the context of the adults in your life. Sure. Like that's, <laughs> that's insanely, yeah. that's like bullshit, right? <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. Continue. I don't mean to interrupt. I just think no. it like bears pointing out like everything you have said, it's uh, not, is about... it's not how you related to the other children. It's these parents put these other children in my life, you know? And that's right. That's Yeah. That's the thing. All right, so, like, <laughs> so me. All right, the quick version of me, as I've now spoken very longly about structure. Male child with two female sisters, so I was a little lonely. Um, even though I was the oldest, there was a lot of like, let's go do this. And then collectively, they would be like, not interested. And you're like, okay. So a lot of playing by myself, a lot of, you know, I was lucky to finally, it was tough for me to kind of form friendships but at some point I finally that connected around fourth grade and then I had some really solid friends um for me my my biggest respite and all of it was uh my grandmother's basement um which had you know a tv a vcr and an atari and people would generally leave me alone <laughs> and I could sneak mtv and play video games uh largely by myself if I wanted to be and then I could go up and be social and 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 put on the Lee show and tell jokes to the adults and dance around and, and do all that um, when I felt like it. And then I could kind of have a place to go and hide. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, and I friends, I mean, and again, like we'll, we'll get into as uh, male puberty is its own weird monster. Um, I started off as a, a very adorable little baby um, who was very smart and um, you know, one of those like quick developed kids 
Like I was like holding court with the adults very quickly. And then sometime around nine or 10, like just got fat, not for a lack of being like thrust into every single activity you could ever do. Um, I mean, I noped out of sports just cause, uh, at some point I was like, I don't enjoy this and it's not fun and I would like to not do it, please. Yeah. Um, but was very busy, but still got fat. And there's a very dark period in middle school that I just loathed and hated. There's like a, a window of time where there are pictures of me that do not, like there are no pictures. There, there's an undocumented period. Yeah. You know, I had a friend on social media who actually, uh, sent me a uh, a picture of me from like a seventh grade Odyssey of the Mind event and was like, oh my God, look at us. And I was like, hey, you you won the jackpot. You found a picture of me from like 1991 because I have done my level best to destroy all of them. Dude, <laughs> I, for- I seriously have like no mental recollection of middle school because it was sure. such a fucking horror show. Yeah. Like, and my- yeah. Yeah. And so for me, if anything, high school was a little bit of a respite only because my body started to normalize in some way. I mean, you still don't like you get the very generalized like my, you know, my dad taught me how to shave, you know, with like a 1994 commemorative World Cup uh, mascot razor, Gillette razor. Um, But like a lot of that stuff's still a mystery. Um, I was weirdly fascinated and uh, with the allure of not really alcohol or um drugs in any way um but definitely sex like adults only was like even at a very young like an inappropriately young age like nine or ten knowing that there was and again this is probably partly the church's fault like i was enamored with um driving by the strip club and knowing yeah. that something was happening in there that I did not have access to. Yeah. Or and I was not allowed to have access to. Yeah. And that's the kind of, and, like, that's kind of the the stuff that I kind of want to get into. Like, the weird contradictions created by yeah. childhood, right? And, and I think, mm-hmm. like, to kind of dive into it. Yeah. Because, again, I truly believe, like, it is one of the most horrific periods of life. And, like, this, more than anything, is probably why I don't have children. Because it just seems so cruel to and I get it like you have to run the gauntlet to live a life right like life is worthwhile so it takes some struggle but it's just shitty that we do it right out the gate so I've kind of divided it like because one of like as you were talking like we use words like hide and we use words like there's like kind of that mystery box feeling to it right of like you're stuck in this game and you don't know the rules and so there's Mm -hmm. kind of like I kind of wanted to actually look at life or childhood as kind of three types of horror genres like um yeah so like i've got psychological horror body horror and kind of social horror so um and which is kind of interesting because i feel like that's a fairly recent uh, genre thank you jordan peele um (laughs) but like the the big one like that idea of that psychological horror right like you we're we're talked to especially as like adolescents in the church about sex all the time Mm -hmm. but then it's in that context of like don't do it it's like you always have just lost the game (laughs) right for the amount that i was told to avoid sex and witchcraft like people should really have done like a follow-up 20 years later (laughs) on how my life turned out (laughs) and it's like it's such a common fucking thing because it's like you're you're told all this stuff, like, is 
bad or whatever, and it's for adults. So it makes it seem super enticing, but no one wants to answer your questions about it because they think you can't handle it. And it's just, so you get this sense that everyone is sort of lying to you. Yeah. And you don't, it's really hard to know who to trust as a kid because you haven't developed that discernment and no one is fully honest with you. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. So two, uh, two things to this looking at, uh, well, at least to the first, the big questions one, because again, it's very funny that again, religious instruction happens early again, because you want to kind of get some imprinting done. I understand that from a sociological point of view of like, try to lay out the tracks while they're, you know, the mud's still soft or whatever. Um, but during the quarantine, um, one of my dear friends growing up is now a pastor and he started, uh, a momentous feat. He created pretty much a children's television show um, for his the children in his congregation. Uh, and he was cranking out like a half hour of content to YouTube every week uh, just for his kids. And he did a big questions episode and, and brought my nephew on, who is whip smart, and uh, quizzed him and uh, was roundly stumped by a seven-year-old. <laughs> Very quickly. He was just like, okay, so, you know, the big, you know, what happens to the souls of all the people who died before Jesus right out the gate. And he was like, can't answer that one. And it was really, you know, it's just like. And the thing is, the thing is, that's really fucking frustrating about that. There are legitimate theological answers to that right like the jewish faith has been dealing with this for a long time we have these concepts of like paradise and hell like literally being physical locations that'll be opened up in the end times right so there are there are answers for this but it's because this idea of faith is so weird and so contradictory we don't share them with kids so they don't have an opportunity to learn and and i know I know that's part of like the cult like thinking of religion or whatever, but there's also it's just so unfair. Like, why do right. I have to discover all this stuff on my own? Because again, it erodes that level of trust. Like, it's just yeah. so annoying. And and I don't know when was the first time you had to kind of deal with like death or someone being sick or grief. Wolf. Um, but this is a big one for me. This is a giant one for me. There is a moment in my life, um, profoundly impactful. It speaks to all the things you're talking about, right? So I lost both my grandparents in, within a year of each other. Um, one very suddenly and unexpected. I mean, unexpected as if like the seventh heart attack you didn't see coming, you know, <laughs> like, oh, oh no. Um, and the other one, um, with a prolonged battle with prostate cancer. So like you get both versions, right? You get the like thief in the night who, who saw it coming and you get the um, Oscar movie year of despair drama that gets played out. Um, But to the psychological horror idea to the, um, you know, you can't trust what's around you is reality around, you know, the, the Rosemary's baby idea of it all. Um, and this weirdly ties into some, you know, a cast of characters that have kind of come up in the podcast previous. Um, I was on one of those brilliant uh, life-affirming sojourns to the big city with my great aunt um, <clears throat> for a week. 
away from my parents um, during the summer. And I remember one night when, um, you know, we were ha- we had just gotten back from the Smithsonian and we're having a nice dinner and we're all talking and the phone rings, you know, wall-mounted phone. Uh, my aunt picks it up, gets very quiet. A long, protracted, very somber conversation happens. Hushed tones. Something's going on, very obviously. Uh, and then she hands the phone to me. And I hear the voice of my mother. Oh, boy. Uh, tearing up for the very first time in this episode, gang. Here we go. Um, and she, I ask her what's going on, because there's obviously something going on. And she said, don't worry. Everything's fine. Enjoy the rest of your trip. We'll see you in a few days. And I said, okay, I love you. And she said, I love you too. But I could tell she didn't believe it. And I could tell that what she was saying to me was weird. And so I spent like the next couple of days walking around museums in this like odd state of knowing that some other shoe was going to drop. And sure enough, when we got back to the meeting point that was, you know, conveniently located halfway between the big city and and my quaint uh, country existence uh, in the same Marriott parking lot that we always met at to, for the handoff, I got out of the car. I walked up to my mom, immediately know something's wrong. And she looks at me and she goes, um, your grandfather passed away. And I said, okay. And she go, and I go, when? And she goes, well, it was a couple days ago, but we really wanted you to enjoy your trip. There was nothing really for you to do. So we wanted you to enjoy the rest of your time there. And we drove home in silence, um, crying. What sticks out to me was not the shock of the death, but the way it was conveyed to me. Yeah. That that changed it. Like, that changed it. And the funny thing is, like, that kicks off this period where then the weight gain happens, my body betrays me, so, social cues, you become very apparent of some sort of weird hierarchy that someone created and where you fit on it. Like, it all, like... And then that's, then I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Werewolves and vampires all day at that point. Yeah, and the loudest. Guess what? They can't fucking die. Yeah. Loudest, um, angriest Christian approved music allowed on the market. Bring it. I can't get enough of it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. And I know that who, who tells a parent how to deal with that? And there's plenty of, you know, very special episodes of Sesame Street to movies that try to tackle this. But, like, that sticks with me, you know? Yeah. It it doesn't fucking matter what your parent did. It stuck with you. This is your story. And it turned into a fucking horror film where everyone lied to you. Like, I... Yeah. I, um... This wasn't the first time I dealed with grief, but... Wasn't the first time I I dealt with grief, but, um... I had a dog. We got her when I was, like, three. Her name was Lady. She was a Border Collie. Um, and she was really old. It was senior year of high school. So I was like barely a kid at that point Or you mm-hmm. know, what? I was still a fucking kid because it didn't know. And, uh, 
her hips had gotten bad and she was kind of going to the bathroom in the house a lot, but she was still like fine. Well, she was old. She was just old, right? And my parents just decided to put her down. And like, I was with, I went with my dad because I was, it was just me and my dad. And, um, and I stayed with her the whole time because she was the dog that had kind of been, she was the sort of dog that would stay up with you when you were sick. And I remember like throwing up and like having my Harry Potter book and she would sleep on my feet to keep me warm. Um, And when we get to the vet, because she was the friendliest dog and just a total sweetheart, still walking around, still making friends. Mm-hmm. And to this day, my mom won't acknowledge that she fucking killed the dog. She's right. like, oh, that was so hard. It was her time. And it was like, no, it fucking wasn't. It right. fucking wasn't. And and just like not being allowed to have my narrative and not being allowed to grieve something important, someone important to me. It's like, I just, I, and again, like it obviously kicked off like my I'm obviously very funny about my animals very protective of them yeah but more than that it was just like what a fucking betrayal you know like you like I hate it when people say they killed my childhood but that dog had been with me from my earliest memories sure and you fucking killed her because like it was she was inconveniently old And it's just, like, there's no good response to that. And, like, the fact that my mom still feels because she was the parent and the adult, like, she gets to hijack the narrative is sickening. And, like, it's just, like, and I feel like all of childhood is like that, right? Like, when you, Mm -hmm. whether you're, like, fighting with a friend, like, it's just dismissed. It's like, well, no, my friendships are my whole world because I'm a little kid and I don't understand scope. Or, you know, like learning things about religion or just like and and then you're stuck on top of all of that you know like everything has to come through this filter of where you're allowed to go and where you're allowed to be and the christian music you're allowed to rage to and it's just it's it's insane i mean it's like truly childhood is just like a nightmare cold scenario yeah like and i think the fact that we both have stories where adults like straight up it's a lie. They lied to us about death. And, yeah. and again, like, this is not about good or bad parenting. I don't give a shit. This is not about parenting. This is a fucking child-free podcast. This is about, it is a, it's something that we do to all children. It's a fucked right. up rite of passage. And I'm just, I refuse right. to participate. And this is a, this is, we're painting pictures of a best possible case scenario. Maybe not best, right? But, but a, like up there. This is, these are B, these are B plus A minus uh, situations to be born in. Like yeah. we had food, we had shelter, someone was minding us. Yeah. And we were, know? we were loved, like objectively we were loved. And again, this is not about, it's, that's the thing. Like all of childhood is bad. And, and then, yeah. like, you kind of started hinting at this, the body horror of it. Like, your body yeah. literally changed sizes against your will. Like, yeah. it, it just, I mean, even teeth falling out. Like, people, like, laugh at their kids when they're losing their baby teeth. And right. there's a reason adults have stress dreams about losing teeth. It's horrifying, even when it's supposed yeah. to happen. Like... I had a lot of, just uh, <laughs> side note, maybe someone will think this is funny uh, and a little bit lighter. I had a bunch of tooth-related horror growing up. 
for some reason. I um, So instead of braces, which again is traumatic in its own way, um, the doctor decided uh, to just remove a bunch of my teeth. So I had, over the course of my childhood, like nine teeth removed. Like baby teeth or grown teeth? Four baby or five baby teeth early, that they took out early. Yeah. Just to help make some room and uh, ultimately four adult teeth. That they just took out early because they're just like, you got a real tiny mouth, which I love that my partner, not really knowing all of this, um, loves to say to me, you got a real cute tiny mouth. And it is really funny because it's not false. Um, <laughs> I had to have two teeth, two adult teeth removed because yeah. I have big old chompers and oh, a wee mouth. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just a lot of just like localized Novocaine. I remember a particularly terrible time where... Uh, a nurse couldn't get the uh, the needle in, so they kept re-poking me, like, over and over again. Um, weirdly, I don't have, like, a thing with needles. you think I would, but... Um, because, like, at the end of the day, like, neuroplasticity is also a thing because it's so scary to be a kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also, uh, at summer camp, got whacked in the face with a tennis racket because of childhood shenanigans, and one of my... Uh, Front teeth, adult teeth at that point, like kind of exploded in my mouth. Oh, And no. so I had to like collect the pieces of them in my palm. And uh, of course, there's like an exposed root hanging out. And so anytime as I'm crying, I would cry and then go. <gasps> and then the air would go <gasps> like onto the nerve. No. So I just pretty much had to like angry breathe with my mouth closed for about an hour until my mom could come get me and take me to the dentist. And then they glued my tooth back together and put yeah. it back in and capped it. So a lot of tooth horror. I, was, I thought it was really funny. You were just like, ah, teeth. And I was like, yeah, hold my Te- beer. Yeah. Um, no, like truly. That's insane. Because it is. <laughs> I mean, we do so much with little kids teeth and I get it because like I. Again, it doesn't have anything to do with, like, the adults in the situation. Like, I've right. totally also had orthodontia, like, follow-up work as an adult. So it's not that. It's just weird when you're small because, again, no one's explaining it to you. And you have kind of limited autonomy in the situation. Sure. It's not like, do you want braces? It's like, yeah. And it's definitely not, do you want puberty? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> sure. Like... You know, yeah. and, and I know we've kind of covered a lot of this, but I think it's just in the context of childhood. I mean, it's one thing to tell them about it sort of intellectually and academically, but I feel like we make so many jokes about puberty without realizing, I think it's like we forget how much it sucks to be in it. Yeah. You know? Well, the the funny thing is that as we still traipse around how to get ideas to children that they are both intellectually prepared for um and also not to make too strong of a light of it or to be uh crass about it the answer is always sterility right the answer is always like you're going to grow hair in funny places like you're going to start to notice attraction like the vulva will begin to blah and it's like that honestly at some point like doesn't help do I want, like, uh, a cartoon vagina, like, singing a song to me? Maybe not. I mean, but, like, there's Big a spectrum. Watching Big Mouth is great, though. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> weirdly, yes. I am on my, every year when it comes out, I tend to binge it a lot. And, yeah. yes, Big Mouth. I am very Team Big Mouth. Because, uh, you know, and my partner, who is um, 
very body squeamish about a lot of things, you know. Um, you know this. Yeah. Um, will look at me and go, is, is, that, is that a talking child's vagina that I'm looking at? Am I looking at the talking vagina of a 12-year-old? And I'm like, you are. Yeah. Um, My and husband couldn't watch this last season because he just got too upset. So much, pr- and, so much yeah. period but stuff. I think what I love about it is it does, it acknowledges, I like, I think more kids should be presented kind of with the crassness. I... I <sighs> I know, like, we get grossed out by kids telling fart jokes and stuff, but you also know I have remained the queen of poop and fart jokes well into my 30s. Yes. Um, Because I've had so many digestive issues, and um, I'd rather be able to just talk about it and say what it is, you know? Yeah. I am not above saying that I've shit blood because of a roid. Yeah. (laughs) and, And I think that we shouldn't... I hate that people chalk that up to, like, childishness when it's actually a pretty healthy way to discuss the meat sacks. And I know it's not, it doesn't have to be everybody's, but I hate that we tell kids not to do that. Or we chalk it up to something that shouldn't be acknowledged because, you know... And but it's like all random tied... boners happen and so do farts and all oh, of it yeah. is okay. I was explaining <laughs> I was explaining to my um lovely, very Californian, very secular partner of my the, the concept of uh of a church boner. Like they had never come across the concept in their life of a church boner. And I was like, okay, so you're in you're seated, which like prolonged sitting has its own, like sometimes, you know, triggers will go off anyway. You're in thinner pants than you'd want, you know? Like there's not like a woven jean sturdiness to that front flap. It's a slack. It's a slack. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a nice sheer linen slack. And like, um, you know, tits in a sweater. So if that if your crush, um, is looking real dolled up at 13 or 14. Um, sometime, um, okay, you know, sometime after you're flipping through the hymnal in front of you out of boredom uh, and adding in bed to the hymn titles, um, which is the best one still is We Will Work Till Jesus Comes. That's still the all-time winner of that one. <laughs> we Will Work Till Jesus Comes. Um, so in the midst of all of that, and trying not to get caught laughing by your parents, um, you have to stand up at the end of church with just like a rock hard schlong, and like, what are you gonna sit there, pretend to pray it out? Like, that's not great. I, Who's gonna talk about that? Literally, no one. No, but church it's like boners. a real thing. You heard it here first. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, I mean, I think the the like female bodied equivalent. Might be like mm-hmm. church nips because they keep that shit so cold and you're always in your little blouse and like padded bras are slutty. So, right. you know, you don't wear them, but mm-hmm. you need a little bit more than what they've maybe given you. And so it's like mm-hmm. headlights. Yeah. <laughs> what are you supposed to rub that out and, and that's in the ha- middle of the altar call? No, because like, that's just going to increase the church boner sitch. It's, yeah. it's an yeah. Ouroboros of filth in church. Just, and it's not filth. Yeah. Like it's not, that's the thing is it's not filth, but right. You know, it's just, that's like bodies are weird and we're so dismissive of kids' bodies. (laughs) Yeah. Because like, um, 
it, it's such a taboo. It's all happening, right? It's all yeah. going, it's going to happen. And I think because um, we were probably, sh- like, we collective, we were shamed as kids. That's the, like, that's the knee-jerk response as a society is to, continue, like, perpetuate that shame. Sure. Don't you, like, to a degree. I know some parents are better about it than others. But again, I think that there's also just this sort of, like, one unit cannot change generations of church yeah. boners. No, shame. and it's it's funny. I look at, you know, some other cultures are trying to do this better. I look at, it's very interesting talking about horror movies in childhood. If you compare the original foreign version and the American remake of Let the Right One In. I think that that's a really great view of like what other cultures are kind of willing to ex- acknowledge and accept. Uh, again, you've got ideas about gender and sexuality, nudity, sexual expression. And then the way that uh, in America, we had to just nope out like most of that stuff and a lot of that context. But like, who's gonna, who's gonna talk about it? Like there was something weirdly impactful about like, and again, like, I can't, to say it out loud is to be worried that the FBI is going to come kick my door in and drag me out of the house. But, like, you've got two, like, tweens get naked, crawl into bed together, cuddle each other. A very poignant moment for both of them. And I was like, and I just remember watching that in the theater and being like, my God, have I ever seen this on film? Like, have we ever addressed it and there's some things like i'm not going to get into the details of it but like there are some moments and experiences from my childhood um that don't do not get really discussed that have had a lot of and the older i get the more i kind of recontextualize them and go oh that's probably why x y and z um but we don't see it we don't talk about it and any mention of it's like it's it's a horror show right it's a scandal and but like who's left with the weight of the undiscussed everything, it's the kids. Yeah, it's the kids. And it's it's really weird because it should be discussed. Like, it doesn't have to be discussed in a way that is bad. Or yeah. it, it Because then it, beca- it you sort of make it bad or make it scary when it could have yeah. been something kind of just out of ignorance. Like, people yeah. have to learn. and And we all have to learn. And it's it'd be great to figure out a way to learn with a lot less shame. Sure. And I, the side note, just a former fat kid. Um, kids are also terrible to each other and yeah. there's not a lot done to, <laughs> if Which, you get shamed into not dealing with stuff, you're not dealing with it. But also like uh, uh, so much about bullying and everything that, that has gone on. And I know some of that, there's this weird idea that it has to be worked out amongst growing people. And some of that stuff is true, but also like kids are shit bags. Yeah. They're, they're often terrible to each other and there's not enough done to comfort the folks that are shat upon. Yeah. Or like really. And again, into why someone's doing the shitting. Is it, is it a trial run to get us all used to the fact that like rich old white men will continue to control your lives and get away with bullshit for the rest of, you know, for like the rest of your life and never be held to account for their actions? Eh. But again, it, does that mean that all of those systems are shitty? Sure. Yeah. Like, and that's where I think, I think this is kind of a great pre, well, it's not even a segue. We're into the social horror aspect. Yeah. Where it's like kids are truly terrible to one another because they have not learned impulse control. And it's weird how quickly we forget 
our own sort of base versions of ourselves. I yeah. I said and did things that adult me would be horrified about or yeah. would not do and and it it sucks that we think it's weird because it sucks that we think badly of our young selves, but also we should be thought badly of because that's how we grow. And that's the right. weird, that's the, that's the scary part of it is like, there's no sense of self-assuredness. You can be mean to your friends. You have people who aren't willing to explain it to you in a way that you're stupid kid brain that hasn't learned to make decisions yet can understand right it's it's such a catch-22 is that yes yeah. it, it's funny it, it, i you know un, and the funny thing is this this in, goes hand in hand at some point with those of us that end up in therapy talking about all this stuff and those of us who just don't and just kind of like kick it like i remember so many of the limericks that i fondly remember that you know inside jokes or funny moments um I look back on now and I'm just mortified. And again, as someone who wants to both be the person who was like, yeah, I, I got thrown into a locker. I got the books knocked out of my hands. I got like tipped into a trash can, you know? And at the same time, I'm like, oh, there was this song we used to sing about this kid. And I sing it back to myself and I'm like, oh no, yeah. that is homophobic. That is probably racist in a variety of ways. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I, I have and. A- I have a very, yeah. I have a very dear friend now who mm-hmm. I, I think um, we were so often at odds with each other growing up because we didn't know how to talk to one another about the horrific shit we were both enduring at home and at church and like horrific in the childhood sense. And in some cases, like genuinely bad stuff was happening to one or yeah. both of us. And mm-hmm. it's really sad because we also had adults in our lives who were kind of pitting us against one another as young women. There can only be one smart one. There can only be one who's good at something. Like, there's only space for one yeah. woman, one girl. And I, it became so performative and so competitive. And it's it's so upsetting because she is such a dear friend now. Like, I love her we talk a lot. We've become such a support system for one another. And it's like, how many years did we waste not being friends because we were stupid kids that didn't have a way to navigate everything we were feeling and experiencing. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so hard because you become the monster for a time in your life. And you have to kind of reconcile that past monster with the person you are now and still like be willing to love that monster. A little bit, yeah. a lot, you know, it's, yeah, it's so weird. Well, well this is a, a, looking at the show notes, like something I think is very uh, interesting to kind of unpack in this is the, as the, in the becoming of the monster is the different selves, the idea of the different hats and the different personalities and trying to have to behave different ways in different social situations, sometimes with the same people, right? Like, we all had the church friend. I remember uh, getting uh, Adam Sandler's first CD. Uh, my parents or someone had gotten to me for my uh, one of my teenage birthdays, preteen birthdays. And I remember huddling around with my friends who were largely was mostly same church friends, school friends, all friends. And just like listening to it on a boom box with the, the sound barely up of just like filth 
absolute, and us just laughing and my dad yelling at us from the other, you kids shut the hell up, go to bed. Um, and just the scandal and the shared, like, who am I supposed to be in which situations and whatever. And it's funny because. And we experienced this as white kids. Like, oh, imagine, yeah. so, <laughs> like, that much more horrifying for codes, for kids of color who have to learn how to, like, not learn, but who have to code switch, you know? It's like, this is, right. again, the base model here, like, we're working with the base model as, like, middle-class white kids. amount of middle-class white, like, cishet passing white privilege all day. Yeah. And it's, it's still like, a horror show. You're like listening to the dirty CD, and then I bet you're in church, and you guys are the kids answering all the questions and winning the sword drills. Oh, yeah. We're getting them all. Look, um, junior Bible quiz champs, years running. Same, like, same, though. <laughs> but again, like that, but at some point you realize how to work the system, right? It's, it's, it's funny because there was maybe at some point because. We talk about the the seven-year-olds that are just like, this is intellectually inconsistent. I'm out. And so many of the people you hear on, you know, podcasts or adults or people when they're on talking about spirituality and TED Talks were just like, there was cognitive dissonance there I couldn't deal with, so I noped out early. And then those of us that stayed kind of, we found our own way of noping out, which was just figuring out how to code switch, figuring out how to hold one belief in your heart and another in your head and present information back to people to sate them while you kept certain things inside. Um, and it's funny because like as an adult, as a fully functional, fully formed adult who likes to consider myself a fairly decent person, um, my partner and I who grew up and again, in a much more open, got to like be who they were very early to the point where, like, you know, had, like, liberal parents, more liberal parents than mine, you know, where it was like, well, ideas that I hear from some of these people, not necessarily my partner, but it was, like, parents who were like, well, if you're just going to have sex, do it in your bedroom. Don't do it behind the 7-Eleven. That blows my mind because I was behind the 7-Eleven. You know what I mean? Like, um, but at the same time now, as, as adults, I very much want to be, I don't want there to be a bifurcated on and off version of myself, right? Yeah. And again, you want a a work person, you want to set appropriate boundaries at the workplace. I'm not saying I'm not doing that, but it's like, I will not hide. Yeah. There's a big, my sexuality or my kinks or my interests or my beliefs for different people, because I would rather be an open book because I spent so much of my childhood having to put on different hats for different people. There's a big difference between setting boundaries and being the separate person that you have to be, you know, like even just from home to school and and kids who aren't even in church. Like I still think there's this, you're who you are when you see grandma and grandpa. And even in some cases, you know, I'm sure I've heard, you know, friends who have had divorced parents and stuff. You're one kid for your mom and you're another kid for your dad. And it's just, you, you feel the need to perform to get ahead because there is that complete lack of freedom. So you have to, you have to perform. I'm sure even your partner would say that there were instances where she didn't get to be herself because she had to get ahead or get out or get, yeah, you know, like you, it's such a, being a child is such a transactional thing because everyone has to take care of you because you can't or you're not able to take care of yourself, you know? Right. And the idea at some point becomes keeping your head down and not 
stirring the pot and not causing trouble um, is generally rewarded. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't really, particularly if you're looking around and seeing some societal um, issues or, you know, you don't want to get that bad kid label. The bad kid label, hard to scrub off. Yeah. And like I have friends who still struggle with their parents who were, you know, are in their 30s, some of whom are um, very high paying film professionals, some of whom have their doctorate. Yeah. Um, and studies show who, that that bad kid label actually inform it does it, it impacts the rest of their life. It becomes yeah. a person that you're constantly trying either not to be or embracing even when that is not you. Right. And uh, so many, I talk to my friends sometimes, you know, th- this Christmas was funny because uh, it, everyone usually gets to, even if you're far away, g- go home and play family and quietly sit through an awkward dinner where political beliefs are different and story time comes up, right? At some point, story time comes up and then fucking story time. Yeah. And then particularly when there's like new partners, there's new other people. Everyone loves to be like, oh, hey, remember the time that X, Y, or Z did this? Remember the time that X, Y, or Z did this. And usually those stories, while they're funny anecdotes, belie a some sort of a societal or moral failing of the child, right? Like they tipped over this, they pissed off this, they, they said the wrong thing, you chased your sister around with a knife. You oh, know, a lot some of, of those mine were like, based on my inability to follow certain social cues or my need to like sort of make things right uh, sure. or my anxiety. So that was always, that's always, I, I fucking hate yeah. story time. Yeah, and we go back through and we retrod that. And I have friends who are just like, um, will very loudly be like, I'm a goddamn doctor. <laughs> like, I have a, a happy heterosexual marriage and a couple of lovely children that I think I'm doing a good job of raising. And we can't go off about the fact that I, like, drank a beer when I was 14. Like, what the fuck do I have to do to get out from under that umbrella? You know, like... Yeah, and you, yeah, you become sort of tarred with this. It's, it's very like the scarlet letter come to life. You know, right. you're you're marked with something that you don't know what you did to earn. You didn't have the right. tools to not earn it, so you were set up to fail. And at the end of the day, you're the goddamn child in this situation. Yeah, you are the child. And again, like there are far ends of this. There are we're not trying to carte blanche. Ex- ex- you know, child murder. We're not trying to like let, uh, this is not like a, a buy all catch all, but there is a, a, the large Overton window of like shit that gets, that's mostly acceptable foibles, you know, that just don't get addressed, you know? And, and I know children who you realize, I, I wonder now that we're so doing such good work of identifying and, and, addressing and it's funny because the older generation is always like that didn't exist when we were growing up children with body dysmorphia children with uh on the spectrum like Mm -hmm. those poor blessed goddamn spectrum kids who like again like it's not like they came out with a birthmark that said i have the following yeah you know and you look at the discourse around uh adhd and like the which is technically also a a neurodiet like i love that we're I love that we've started to accept that ADHD is a neurodivergence. It's got more in common with autism than like, I don't know. Right. It's, it's a, it's an actual, it's like a thing. It's a way a brain works, you know? And, yeah. and it's like, yeah, there's, it's so interesting. Cause or, I think it gets dismissed as like, 
let's medicate the hyperactive kid. And it's like, well, no, you treat a kid who is struggling. And I think, I, I do feel we are always moving toward a place of, I think as people become more self-aware yeah. um, and there are people who have that aren't like, you know, toiling in fields or factories, like as, as people have more time to connect and explore compassion and right. make the choice to be child free, but still like love the children in their lives or love the parents in their lives when they need right. a course correction. Like, I think that things are getting better. They always, people do get right. better. Like we make progress as hard as it is to look out the, at the world right now and say that like I do think things are getting better yeah. but it's so well, funny no. to watch the older generation kind of like refuse to acknowledge like I, the the amnesia people develop when they're getting yeah. old, like as we get older like I don't want to do that and it's funny I've tried to even within my family like discuss with my sister large parts of our childhood um and she just it, it's a it's not there it is just not it is not there the good the joyous the bad the troublesome the undiagnosed it's just not there and yeah. i want to be there for her and help her kind of revisit that stuff and work through some of it and i just but i can't i don't blame her at some point you know oh yeah like, and again ideal almost on the surface on paper however you want to caveat it fairly stable conditions still a thing yeah and you know i i have friends um or there's a child in my life that you know i'm aware of that like kind of a clumsy kid always tripping around banging on stuff you know and finally they're like oh hey um finally gets to the doctor years of this oh boy we got some eye stuff we gotta like get them in some corrective glasses and then do some like one eye over this eye to kind of recorrect. But like that, and thank God we're on a path to try to sort it out. Still didn't stop the kid for a couple of years, just walking into walls. You know what I mean? Like having like, wow, he sits really close to the TV, huh? And you're like, and again, it's not like sometimes the kids can't even fully look. It's, it's again, God, this is like two or three episodes in a row where we've talked about people not being believed in a medical circumstance and the weird gender and racial things that come into that. And, and then also you age, check, like just like not having the kids. ability to, cause it's, it's kind of like, and I don't, I don't mean this in a dismissive way, but it's, it's sort of the problem when like taking a pet to the vet, they cannot communicate sure. with you. You just know something's wrong. And I feel like to some right. degree, that's how it is with kids. And we, it's so hard to take the time to translate yeah and and, the and it's like and... and sometimes it's the wrong person it's like maybe maybe your child's like prolonged constipation actually jumps genres yeah. you know what i mean maybe it's not a body horror issue maybe it's an anxiety issue yeah maybe and that's, it's a that's where you see where it's like definitely not it's not about the parents it's just about yeah. the fact that like coming into this life is something that shouldn't be romanticized it's a gauntlet of horror that requires our compassion were those baby turtles that are making their way toward the ocean where just a like, hard just push seagulls and crabs and our parents are like well we're slow too we can't help you like we yeah. are all those baby sea turtles and like i think we all just need to try and offer more compassion than we currently do yeah so i don't know it's... like do you have any 
any further kind of final thoughts as we come to the end of this fucking creep show of childhood? Um, look, it's it's often a joke. It's often dismissed, but um, there is tons of value in unpacking this stuff. There is tons of, and the sad thing is, I think a lot of times the kids do the unpacking about their shitty uh, childhood experiences, and maybe the parents don't. Um, which gives a lot of understanding to one half of like an unevenly socially weighted, uh, pairing anyway. Um, but it's worth doing. It's worth, and, and again, at some point you listen to a podcast, you talk to your friends, but, um, it's worth, it's worth the, always worth the investment to find mental health professionals, to find, um, people who you can pay money to scream at. Um, I know that's a very crass way of putting it. Um, but this stuff was tough and it was dumb and weird. And as much as we, uh, should rightfully, uh, preserve the integrity of, um, terms like PTSD for people that legitimately go through war or trauma in a big scale, there are like smaller scale versions of, of trauma that we have suffered through our lives and it's worth unpacking and it's worth dealing with. And I think even it's, if, it's, yeah, even if the, 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 when you're talking and discussing with your parents, if you have a good relationship with them, if they're going to shrug it off and say, Hey, we just did the best we could. It's worth trying to find that understanding as adults of how you were impacted growing up, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think more than anything, we just need to acknowledge that it's a, common thing it's yeah. and again i think i i know i keep saying this but like truly it has nothing to do with the quality of parenting it is a circumstance it is something we all go through and i think we need to stop romanticizing childhood as some sort of ideal state i think we need to acknowledge the the young people in our lives as full humans sure and i think that we I think that goes a long way toward we can't let our shame perpetuate, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, like, again, for me, this is a huge decision, a huge part of my decision to not be a parent is I, I would be incapable as a parent of not perpetuating my own shame and my own sort of anxieties and fear. And my, I would make a horror sequel. Like a hundred percent. It'd be the exorcist too, whatever. The, the bride of, the yeah, daughter and, of, and that the I, son of. Yeah. And I just, I can't, I can't stress enough how it, it's beyond, it's not an individual problem. And it, yeah. it may not even be a problem. It may just be this state of things and it may be part of what makes life worth living. But I think we need to start acknowledging it honestly to get the most of it as with, as with a lot of stuff in life, you know, and, and I think that's the great thing about kind of being child free is not being responsible to another small human. You have that sort of setback to view it a little bit more objectively and to do something with it if you choose. Yeah. Um, and so, like I said earlier, I really want to hear from more of our listeners. Um, did you view childhood as anxiety inducing and scary and weird as, as me, as Lee? Uh, what does it mean to you? 
Has it impacted your decision not to have children in the same way it's been the like guiding influence in my life? Um, yeah. And if and so, how does, yeah. How does, uh, you know, and from people with either, with different backgrounds from ours, from more affluent or struggling, like, is there a point where the scarcity existence kicks in and some of this stuff doesn't even track or does it compound upon itself? Like, I just want to, yeah, more, more, let's, I would love to hear from you. Like we've, we've got the channels open. We're getting some awesome responses from people. Um, and I appreciate the, the love that we're getting and the, I'm so glad you all are here, but let's hear some, like, how, how was it? Any of the stuff we've talked about, particularly this one, we want to hear your comments. We want to hear your stories. We want you to find a place where you feel like you can vent out some of this stuff in a, in a, in a, in a community that will listen to you and will share um, in your thoughts and feelings on this stuff. Yeah. So as per use, we are on most social media at not just sleeping in. And you can also email us at questions at not just sleeping in.com. So until next week, I'm Tiger. And I'm Lee. Spread love. Live your damn truth. And of course, have have fun fun sleeping sleeping in. in.